You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. Thank you, Candice. Good morning, good morning. I do want to encourage you, this win- that's this Wednesday, guys, at 6.30 here at the church. If you're a parent uh, or you love students, that will be a really powerful workshop and learning uh, experience. So please do show up. I plan to be here uh, and learn myself. Uh, listen, we're going to do a little family business this morning. I'm excited uh, to spend a few minutes uh, installing our uh, new children's ministry director. Maria Kaseka uh, is here this morning. She's been in that role since uh, the turn of the year, uh, but we wanted to officially install her to you or with you this morning and pray for her. Uh, over, as I said, about December, January, we had a transition. Marina Guzman, who many of you might know, has been our children's ministry director. She's still in the church. She's still serving uh, in children's ministry. I don't know if she's in the service right now. I don't see her right now. She was in the first service. Uh, and uh, we just want to give her honor. She recognized that it was the right time for her family, for her to transition out of ministry so she could care for her family. Uh, but she's still here. She's still involved. And one of the wonderful pieces of the way that God works is that he had already prepared and moved into place uh, Maria on on the children's ministry team. She'd been a part of our, our staff for a little while and uh, just naturally, I think, but also uh, she responded to uh, the challenge and uh, the opportunity to step into that role. And Maria is an incredible uh, woman who's powerful. I'm going to invite her to come up. If you would come up, Maria. This is her favorite part. She loves to stand in front of people. Um, uh, Maria is a, is, a, is a quiet giant. We learned that uh, very quickly as she came upon our staff. Would you give her a hand as she comes up, please? Uh, this woman has been a great... Don't, don't run away. You stand right there. This woman has been a great joy to have in our office. As I said, she's very quiet, uh, but she's very capable, very strong when she speaks. She speaks with authority, and she's a great vision and heart for our kids and for the next generation. Uh, Children's ministry, as a director, she's over basically zero nursery all the way through fifth grade. All that happens over the course of the weekend here, as well as our breakout program. Uh, And it's a very, very important role because our kids are incredibly important. The next generation is incredibly important to us. And as a church, uh, it's, we don't just do child care uh, back in some classroom where we're dropping our kids so that we can have a good time in the service. We believe they are people who also need to meet Jesus and, and they need to have people love them and care for them and teach them the scripture and teach them how to connect with the Lord. And Maria has that heart. Uh, and so we wanted to officially introduce her and install her today. We're going to pray for her in just a moment. Uh, but before that, I want to give her the mic and just I'll, I'll ask her if you'd like to maybe say a little bit of your story or share a little bit about your heart, whatever, whatever you brought. I see that you have notes, so go for it. Six years ago, um, and it wasn't the best situation. Uh, my husband and I had just filed for divorce, um, and um, so it, I was really just like broken. <laughs> um, so I came in here. I started, you know, attending services. My kids were in children's ministry, um, and even though like we worked things out. Um, in that time frame, um, two of my kids opened up to their leaders, and they let him know, you know, what was happening at home. Um, and I can only imagine that they just spoke hope into their hearts, and they 
told them, like, just pray. Um, so it was just prayer, you know. Um, so after um, my husband and I decided to work things out, we're going through counseling, seeing a pastor. Um, one night I'm tucking my son into bed and he was like about nine years old and he just tells me, mommy, it worked. Um, and I was like, what worked? And he said, um, praying, I asked God that you and daddy wouldn't get a divorce and now you guys are not. Um, so it was at that moment that I realized my child was praying every single night. He was going to war for us because honestly at that time it was just so bad um, that I wasn't even praying for God to restore our marriage. Um, people praying for me weren't praying for our marriage to be restored. Um, but he learned to be persistent. He learned to have faith, even when it looked like we just could not work things out. Um, and that was all because of children's ministry. Um, and so a lot of times, once you're here at church, you'll get to hear people say, um, your ancestors have been praying for you. Um, so things like that. But I'll let you know that your kids are also praying for you. Um, and through children's ministry, they are being raised to break generational curses. They are being raised to be prayer warriors. Um, they are being raised to just have a hope that um, that will answer God's prayers, obviously. Um, and they're just moving mountains. Um, and sorry. And I'll let you know um, that they are the ones praying for you guys um, for the things that happen behind family family doors, you know, the things that we don't get to see or hear. Um, so I'm honestly just in awe that God would choose me to be here in this situation at this time um, to be in leading children's ministry because honestly, when I came in, um, like I would sit somewhere hiding over there because <laughs> I was just sobbing. Um, but I love it and um, it's, just, it's just my heart to I be here. It. I love that, it's yeah. beautiful, it's beautiful. Well, what a great en encouragement if you're here this morning and you're not feeling like things are great in your life, mm -hmm. uh, how God can work a miracle in your marriage, in your life, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and as, as you just turn to him and allow him to do his work, he can do am amazing things. Uh, I'm going to invite Andrew. What a great name. Andrew, would you come up uh, and join Maria? Uh, I'm also going to invite the staff and the elders, if they're here, if they join me on stage, because we are going to uh, pray for this couple as a couple and also for Maria as, as she steps into this spot. And, and bless them and ask God really to anoint them. Marina, please come up during this season uh, because we know that, uh, that they are here for a purpose and for a reason. And this is an incredible couple because God has done a work inside of them and he's going to continue to do a work. So would you just extend your hand right now towards them and, and don't just listen to me pray, but would you pray with us right now? Lord, we thank you for this couple. We thank you for the, uh, the touch that is on their life. We thank you for the anointing that's on each one of them. And in the name of Jesus, we bless them right now. Thank you for putting them into this place, for planting them in this house. Thank you for the miraculous work of your hand over their marriage. Thank you the way that you have brought them together, the way that you are moving in their lives. And God, we pray right now for a greater outpouring of your spirit upon their family. Lord, would you loose new gifts, new abilities, new anointing? Would you give them the ability to see what is ahead and strategically move, Lord, in accordance with it? We pray for a Maria in 
particular, Lord, as she steps into this role of ministry, we pray that you would take her to a higher level in her understanding, in her thoughts, in strategic uh, movements and strategies to be able to reach the hearts of kids. We pray, Lord, as she speaks, her words would be anointed, that the work of her hands would be gifted as she leads, Lord, that you take her to a higher level. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray against the strategies of the enemy that we know are arrayed against this couple. We know every ministry couple is opposed by the enemy. And so in the name of Jesus, we speak that the enemy's power is broken. We say, enemy hands off of this couple. In the name of Jesus, let them alone. We pray right now that they would be full of the Spirit of God, full of the power of God, that their kids would be protected, that their finances would be protected, that they would see your hand all over them in the name of Jesus. We bless them with every spiritual blessing. We thank you, God, for planting them in this place. And now would you exceed even what we could ask or imagine in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I love that. I love that. Uh, last weekend, as you heard, Easter, of course, was a wonderful service or services, and we had wonderful response. Uh, many people did recommit their lives or give their lives for the first time uh, to the Lord. Uh, and, uh, and it's important whenever that happens uh, to, to know that that's not just a moment. It's not just one thing that happened and we move on. But it's important to understand that we have to actually then move ourselves into a process of growth. Uh, Jesus said that, uh, that you must be born again. He's speaking of spiritually speaking that we are born again. But when we're born again, then there, there, it, it is needed, just as in the natural, when a baby is born, you have to care for the baby, you have to feed the baby, you have to make sure that they're protected. It's the same thing with your faith. And wherever you are in your faith this morning, maybe you made a decision last weekend or may, may, maybe you just are here this morning and wanting to grow, I want you to know it's important for you to decide to grab a hold of your spiritual walk, to, to actually take some ownership and to move forward in your walk with Christ. It's not, it doesn't happen by accident that you're going to grow in him. It actually requires us to have a direction and to move in that direction in our faith. And uh, Stacy Gassum, I invite him to come up right now. And, and uh, he shared with me this morning that he just felt like the Lord dropped into his heart an encouraging word. And so this is for you if you made a decision last weekend, many of you here this morning, of recommitting or committing your life for the first time. But it's also true really for anyone who wants to hear this in terms of growing spiritually. I want you to know you can grow spiritually. You can move past the place that you're at right now. You don't have to stop and be stuck, but that there's actually more for you. Stacy, would you please just share that with us? I was uh, just doing some studying on, in the book of Romans on chapter 6 starts out with um, dead to sin and alive in Christ. And it just made really very clear what happens uh, like last weekend when a lot of people received Christ for their first time and recommitted their life to Christ. What happens is it says that we are buried, we are buried to our sin just as Christ was buried and was resurrected. You see, we were buried to that old life, buried to that old body. We were buried in that sin that we could experience the resurrection power from God as Christ did and be seated with him in the heavenlies. So the deal is, is now we're buried. The old body has been placed on the cross. It is dead. 
There is no life if it is dead, right? We understand dead. We bury the dead. It's dead. But now we need to, to focus our life on being alive in Jesus Christ, that we are risen. We have a risen Savior in us. This is what we are to focus on. Please do not try and go back and breathe life into what is already dead and you were ashamed of back then. The law took you to the cross. Christ has set you free by the grace of God to glory to the risen King. So I tell you, as you walk this new life, begin to build your character as a Christ follower that you would not begin to, to, to look back any longer, but to move forward and to be obedient in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 That's good. That's great. That's so good. You're turning away from the old and you're turning towards the new. Uh, I just want to say two things that, w that we are recommending to everyone that made a decision last week or everyone that wants to grow in their faith. Uh, and these apply to everyone that's in the house this morning. If you've not been baptized in water uh, as an indication and a further commitment of your walking with Jesus, you need to do that. Uh, whether you made a commitment a long time ago or just recently, being baptized in water is the next step. The Apostle Paul says actually when we do that, we are identifying, just as Stacy said, with the death of Jesus Christ, dying to the old and coming out into the resurrection power of Jesus. And we're going to be baptizing people in water in two weeks. I'm praying that it would be one of the largest, if not the largest baptism service that we've ever had. Uh, and so if you need to do that, I want to encourage you, get that done. Don't waste your time. Don't wait too long, but plan on that. Next week in our service, uh, we'll be having a baptism class that's required because we'll be baptizing on April the 30th. So April 23rd, next Sunday, come back to church. After worship, we'll dismiss you, and then you get all the information on how you can be baptized uh, on the 30th. Secondly, you need to be in a small group that will help you grow in your faith. Uh, being in a small group with other people who are learning about Jesus and moving forward in their spiritual walk is one of the greatest catalysts that you can experience in your walk with Christ. And we've started a number of groups that are right now, they're launching this week called the Purple Book Groups that we recommend you to jump into. And whether you've known Christ for a while or whether you're just fresh in that, this is a perfect place for you to jump in right now. If you go to the Church Center app, I think there's three different groups, three different nights and times when you can... Uh, identify which one works for you and jump into those. You can sign up right there. If you don't have Church Center, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go to guest services out in the lobby and they will help you uh, find that information for those groups and plug into them because you will discover how in incredibly powerful it is to actually begin to put some traction to your faith, some traction to that experience uh, that you made last week. Uh, and uh, so let me encourage you in that way. This morning, we're going to begin a new series. I think it's just the right time for this series. Uh, it, it's really called, Where Do I Fit? And over the next four or five weeks, we're going to be talking about how each one of us is designed uh, uniquely. We're uniquely created and uniquely designed by God with his purpose on our life. And we, in fact, do have a place that we fit. Uh, it's very easy in our world uh, to end up living your life in a way that's full and busy, that your calendar is chock full, that you're running around a lot of different directions, you're taking the kids here and there, you're doing lots of things, but you really are not living with purpose. It's easy to live a life where you're exhausted at the end of the day, but you ask yourself, 
what really, what really, the difference did I make? Did I really have any kind of meaning for my life? And I want to tell you that there is, in fact, a reason, a purpose, and a meaning for your life, and we have to identify what that is. Dr. Seuss, uh, many of you are familiar with his books. Uh, some of you read them uh, to your kids when they were growing up. Uh, he was quite uh, the, the genius in the way that he had with words, and very often he was speaking as much to parents who were reading their books to their kids as he was speaking to the kids, right? And you might remember that in one of his books called Oh, the Places You'll Go, in part, he says this. You can get so confused that you'll start in to race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space headed, I fear, toward a most useless place waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or a no or waiting for your hair to grow. waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for a Friday night, or waiting perhaps for Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance. No, that's not for you. Somehow you'll escape all that waiting and staying. You'll find the bright places where boom bands are playing. With banner flip-flapping once more, you'll ride high, ready for anything under the sky, ready because you're that kind of guy. Dr. Seuss understood, right? He got it. Life is more than just being busy. It's more than just running around and doing lots of things. It's more than just filling your life with activity. It's about being purposeful. It's about having a purpose, about having a reason. And I have good news for you this morning. God has a purpose for your life. You are not an accident. Your life is not an accident. The place where you are is not an accident. God actually has a purpose for you. If you were to look up the definition of purpose, it simply is this, and they've got it on the screen, the object toward which one strives, the reason for which you exist. I want you to know this morning that God wants you to live with purpose. He wants you to live with a purpose in your heart and in your mind, that you're not just doing time, that you're not just waiting for the day to be over, that you're not just hoping that tomorrow is going to be different, but you actually have a reason to exist. But the reality is that so many of us in this world don't know that that's true, and we don't know where to start. Yeah. The psychologist William Martin, a few years ago, he asked 3,000 people this question, what do you have to live for? Seems like an easy question, seems like a simple question. Out of those 3,000 people, 94% responded that they had no definitive purpose for their lives. 94% of people didn't know why they existed on the earth. They're just enduring today just so that they could get through tomorrow and maybe hope that someday, someday, my day will come. But the reality is there is good news. You were made for a reason and you were made with a purpose. And that's what this series is about. We're talking about where do I fit 
And over the next four weeks, we're going to dig into this idea. We're going to try to give you some tools and resources to identify. Maybe you're not familiar with even the makeup that you have and how as you begin to understand your purpose, your divine design, your unique gifts and abilities that God has actually made you unique and he's got a place for you to fit. Your level of understanding of this truth really is going to determine the joy with which or the success with which you live your life. Very often when we're uncertain of our purpose, we just kind of bumble through life. When people begin to understand the way that God made them and that he has a purpose for their life, suddenly they discover it's almost like a light bulb goes off and they begin to experience life in a way they've never experienced before. I'm not saying their life is perfect. I'm not saying everything always goes right. I'm saying suddenly you go, wow, there is meaning for me. There is, my life is significant. I know what I'm doing. It's almost like fresh breath that comes into your lungs. You go, yes, this is what life is about. I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 10, and this is the text that we're going to use for this series. It's kind of our theme verse, and I'm going to dive into it a little bit deeper today. As we look at this verse, uh, you, what you're going to see is really the outline for today's message. Uh, in this series, what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks today, I'm going to look at this idea that you're made for this, uh, and look at the three big ideas in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Next week, we're going to look at discovering your purpose. We're going to try to give you some tools, as I mentioned, assessments that's going to help you even understand how that works. Then we're going to talk about making a difference and how each one of us, everybody in this room, everybody listening to me online, each one of us is designed to make a difference in this world and in this life. There are no meaningless people. There are no people that don't make a difference. Your life matters, and it is designed by God to matter, and you need to know, understand how to plug into that. And then lastly, on week four, we'll talk about the call to multiply. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, I've got it on the screen here. I actually want to back up a couple of verses to, to verse 8 and look at it with you just to give you a little context to see where we're going this morning. If you're there, would you say, I'm there? Okay, thank you. If you lied to me, that's okay. Appreciate that. If not, it's on the screen. If you want to follow along in your notes, all of these verses that we'll be talking about today and all of the points are in those notes. You can find them in the Church Center app uh, down at the bottom right-hand corner. There's a more button. You find that and click outlines and you'll be right here and can follow along. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Let me just read that one more time. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Listen, salvation, the salvation of God does not come because we earn it. We don't do anything to deserve it. You can't be good enough for ever God to give it to you. The reality is it is a gift from God. It is by his grace. It is a work of grace. That is an incredible idea and incredible principle that Jesus came not because we deserved it. Jesus came not because we did good things. Jesus came not to save the good people in this world. Jesus came to save sinners, those who were broken, those who were far away from him, those who needed salvation. If you feel like you don't got it this morning, you didn't do a good enough stuff, if you don't feel like you belong here this morning, you weren't sure if you could raise your hands, you're in the right place today because today is a day of salvation. And God says he saved you by grace, not because you deserved it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. 
No one should ever say to somebody else, yeah, I did some really great things. God loves me a whole lot. That's not the way that it works. None of us get to boast about salvation. Listen, you're, you're in as much as I'm in. No matter who you are, no matter who I am, as long as we reach out to Jesus, he's the one that makes a way. He's the one that gives the gift. He's the one that we, we're in because of his grace. Thank God for the great leveler. Thank God that he takes us all where we are at. Now, this morning at the end of the service, I'm going to just take a moment and ask if there's anyone here that needs salvation, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if you're, that in, 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 if you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision to follow him, I want to say this is a great day for you because this is the day that you can receive the free gift of God, that you get to an entrance to heaven today. Because all you have to do, it's not because of your faith, it's not because of your, of your perfection, it's not because you've done some great things, it's simply because you're turning to the person of Jesus, and you're saying, Jesus, would you save me today? And he will very gladly say, come on in, my son or my daughter. Now, Paul sets this up, and he's, I think that's a good thing. You, you can clap your hands, that's all right. Now, Paul sets this up, and he talks about salvation, and then he says this thing in verse, uh, verse 10. He says, for, in other words, there's a reason why we have received salvation. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I want to read that verse again, but I want us to read it together because this is where we're going to spend the rest of the morning just for the next few minutes. So would you read that with me? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I want to give you three big ideas from this verse. It's the major point, uh, part of what we're going to talk about today. The big idea for this morning is that God's dream is you finding your place on his team. All right, forgive the rhyme, but God's dream is you finding your place on his team. And I want you to know that you were made for this, that you were made with a purpose. And so here's the three big ideas that we see in this verse. The first big idea is this, I was made by God. I was made by God. Would you turn to your neighbor and would you say to them, I was made by God? Go ahead, turn to him. You say, you might not like it, but that's the way it is. I might not know you. You may not like me, but I was made by God. And just get, get used to it. This is the way it is. I was made by God. Ephesians 2.10, we just read it. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. If you go to a museum of art, you'll see they have on the walls beautiful paintings, beautiful masterpieces. And every masterpiece, whether it's a Rembrandt or it's a Michelangelo or it's a Da Vinci or whoever did the painting, always has there in the corner their name, their, their, their name written saying that I am the one who wrote, who, who drew this imp uh, incredible masterpiece that's hanging on the wall today. And we go and we marvel uh, at the beauty and the colors and the depths and the perceptions and all these things, and we recognize that these masterpieces were made by masters. They were, they were made by people who had incredible gifts. I want you to know this morning that you are God's masterpiece, that he has actually put his signature on your life, that he has he put his thumbprint on you, that even though you might not 
feel like a masterpiece. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like, well, I'm everything, anything but a masterpiece. My life is a mess. I look like a mess. I act like a mess. I am a mess. But God, when he looks at you, he says, I don't make any mistakes. I don't make any ugly people. I don't make any errors when it comes to the people that I have put my image upon. And I want you to know that God, when he looks at you, he sees a masterpiece. Now, you may still be in process, but you are beautiful in his eyes. This is what Psalms 139 says King David is speaking. He says, Lord, you know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made. Bit by bit, how you sculpted me from nothing into something. I want you to know this morning, you're not an accident. You are here as a deliberate act of creation. Your story might be, your parents might have told you you're an accident. I want to tell you, you're not an accident. That from the very foundations of the earth, God had in his mind, he knew exactly what, would he, what he would create, and he could see every person on this planet, and he saw your life, and he uniquely created you and formed you, and he has a plan, and he has a purpose for you. You have a place, and you have a purpose. Amazing story, true story in 2004 uh, in the Los Angeles Times and many other places. You can look it up. But, uh, it's an incredible story. A cellist who was the primary cellist for the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra uh, took their cello home and as they were unloading their car, accidentally left the cello there on the sidewalk. And it disappeared. It was stolen. They, they, they took the foot. They looked at the footage, and they could see a bicyclist drive by the street and oh, no, notice the cello in the case and, and just take it and, and disappear with it. And so, of course, the, the hunt went out for this cello. It wasn't just any cello. It wasn't just any instrument. It was a Stradivarius, which is a 320-year-old instrument that's worth about $3.5 million dollars. It's the, the, the Stradivariuses are the kind of instruments that they, they make music like no other kind. Uh, and, and so the, the hunt was out, and for three weeks there was panic as they couldn't find the cello. All the news was around. They put out a $50,000 reward for it. Well, someone found this instrument as they were dumpster diving, uh, and, and, and they brought it home. And, uh, and it was is a woman who found this, and she told her, uh, her husband, who was a cabinet maker, she showed him what she had found. And he said, oh, I got a great idea. Let's make it into a CD case pre uh, pre present presentation, a, a CD drawer, whatever. So we can put it on the counter. We'll put our CDs right there. They said, we could put a hinge right here, and, and, and we could mess. And, and thank God, instead of take, taking that and convert it into a nice piece of furniture to display plastic discs, they saw on the news uh, that they were searching for this cello. Well, by the end of the night, they were enjoying $50,000, and the cello was back in the hands of that, that incredible musician who was making beautiful music in the Philharmonic Orchestra. Many people spend their lives, right, not understanding, not in the right place, not understanding their position and their purpose, and, and they end up being a CD case on the counter, rather being in the hands of the master musician who can make beautiful music out of their lives. Each and every one of us is like that Stradivarius, that if, if we are in the right hands, if we're in the hands of the master musician, the master craftsman, the master of the universe, that he will make beautiful music out of our lives. Psalms chapter 100 says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his and we are the sheep 
of his pasture. It is God who has made each one of us. I want you to know the big idea, number one, is that you were made by God. And secondly, you need to know this morning that you were made like God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I was made like God. You're not only created by God, but you were made like God. Now look back at the verse there for a second. We read it. Uh, for we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. We are created anew in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be like God, because there's a lot of confusion, I think, today in our world and our culture. There's a lot of talk about being like God, but what does it mean to be like God? Well, when you go right back to the beginning, right back to Genesis chapter 1, you see that when God created humanity, he put his stamp on human beings, on Adam and Eve. He put his stamp on them. He, he made them in his image. The concept is called the imago Dei, the image of God that is now imprinted on each and every human being on the planet today. See, there's something special and unique about human beings. They're different than the animals. All of creation is wonderful. The oceans are beautiful. The, the land is beautiful. The trees are beautiful. The plants and all the animals are beautiful. But there's something, there's no other type of creation that has the image of God imprinted on it. You have the image of God inside of you and on you. When God looks at you, he sees you as valuable, no matter what you've done, where you've been, how you've messed up, how far you've gone, how far you've fallen. Because you are an image bearer, God sees you as worth something. You cannot ever fall far enough from God that he doesn't see you as valuable. That's why there's no such thing as worthless people in the earth. There's no such thing as people that we throw out in the trash because every person, every human being is an image bearer. Now, what does it mean to bear the image of God? What does it mean to be like God? It means, must mean some, somehow we reflect his character. We reflect the way that he is. And if you look at the story from Genesis to Revelation, you see that God is a giver that he's one who came, he gave life, he gave creation, he gave a garden for us to live in, he gave us a purpose, he gave us a plan, he gave us a reason to be here, and then when we messed it up, he gave us his son to come, and he gave his perfect life for us on the cross so that we once again could be in relationship with him. And so we see that part of the image God being an, of God, being an image bearer, is looking like God, that we are to be givers, that we are to actually give ourselves to others. Jesus actually said this. Jesus said when he was on the earth, he said, listen, pay attention because when you see me doing anything or saying anything, that's actually what my father is doing and saying in heaven. When you see me, you're seeing my father in heaven. You're getting a, a, a representation, an exact copy of what's going on. This is what Jesus said about his calling and his purpose. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this is how we should live. You might say, well, I don't know about that. I mean, he, he's Jesus. He went to the cross. We can't do that. But here's what Paul says to us. In Philippians chapter 2, lest you think it's just something that, that Jesus did something for us and we don't have a responsibility, Paul actually says this. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Here's the attitude. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up 
the things that, that the priority, the preeminence. He gave up the, the prestige. He gave up the fame. He gave up this, this, incredible pl- this incredible place that he had. Why? To take the humble position of a slave. Paul says, you, you and I, who are Christ followers, we are to have the same attitude that Christ has, to give up all of the, the, the things that really sometimes make us proud, uh, the, the places of prestige, the, the places of power, the places of recognition. Why do we give them up? So that we can become humble and that we can serve others. We are most like Jesus when we serve. We look most like God when we decide to begin to give to others. This is what Mother Teresa said, expecting no return or reward, just serving because it was what we were created to be and to do. You were made by God. You were made to be like God. And then thirdly, Paul doesn't stop there. He says, you were also made for God. Lest you think you were made for yourself, lest you think that you were made to make yourself happy, lest you think that you, you have to, you're going to invent the things that you're made for. No, no, no. You were actually made for God. This is what it says in our verse, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long Ago. Now, this is incredible because it focuses us, right? And it reminds us we don't have to invent a purpose for our lives. We don't have to spend our time coming up with something. Oh, man, what am I going to do? The reality is, is God has already planned for you good things in advance. He has already seen your life. He's created you uniquely. And he set things up for you, right? He is the, the potter and we are the clay. He's the architect, right? And we are the creation. We're the laborers that are making his plan come about. We were made by God to be like God so that we can work for God to accomplish his will in the earth today. Amen. Let me just show you quickly four things that you're created for. Just a, it's a cute little chart that they made. It's, it's, it's nice and pretty. But this, this really, these four things is what we are about for the rest of our life as Christ followers. We are to grow forever in these four areas. The first one is relationship. You are to grow in relationship. You are to know him more and more. The thing is, God is love, and love requires an object. And that object means relationship. And God is in relationship with his creation. And our life is about progressively and eternally learning to know him more. You'll find the more you know about God, the more you love God. The more you know about God, you want to follow him more. The more you know about God, you have more courage to believe that he can do all the things that he said he can do. The more, and so you are built for relationship. You are not built just for yourself. You're built for relationship with God and with others. Secondly, you are designed to grow in character. That is, you are designed to be like him. We're called to be more and more in the likeness of of Christ. Character is about letting go of the old things, the dead things, the, the things that, that pollute us, the things that are full of the flesh, and to actually grow and, and take a hold of the things of the Spirit, right? And we actually look more and more like Jesus the more and more we reject the things of the world and the more we grab on to the things of the Spirit. It's time for us to—listen, you've got a problem. 
if you have been a Christian for many years and you are just the same stinking person that you were when you began. There's a problem like we're actually called God will save you from anything you're involved in and then he calls you come on over here. There's, there's some things to let go of. You got to stop lying. You got to stop cheating. You got to stop stealing. You got to stop uh, deceiving. You got to stop sexing. You, know, you got to all the whatever you're into. It's time to let go of it because there's something different that I have for you. I actually want you to grow to look more like Jesus. And so we're called to grow to look more and more like him. Thirdly, we're called to grow in this area of function. That is, we are partnering with him. We're learning that God actually wants to work with us and, and that he promises to be our partner. It's really neat, the word koinonia, uh, which is a Greek word, which means fellowship. It actually also means partnership. It has to do with, uh, with uh, an understanding that we are in unity with God and with each other to accomplish his kingdom purposes on the earth. And so when we understand that God is our our, our major partner, that he's the one that's directing our lives, that he's the one that's giving the, the resources, that he's the one that's giving the power, he's the one that's giving the anointing, then we understand, wow, God, uh, you're, the, you're paying the bills. You're the one that's making the way. You're the one that's opening the doors. As we begin to understand, we're not doing this by ourselves. We actually have a big brother that is leading the way for us. Then we will discover the joy that it is to live life. And then finally, we are designed to grow in this area of reproduction. That is expanding his purposes in others. Just as in the natural, we can reproduce, we're designed also, spiritually speaking, to reproduce. We're, we're designed to share his love with others, to share the good news with others, that we are here on the earth, not just to make ourselves happy, not just to get through life, and so whew, finally we're at the end, but to bring as many people with us that we can. That, and for the rest of our life, we need to understand these are the things that we're, we are made for. Would you tell your neighbor, I'm made for this? I'm made for this. I'm made for this. There's a reason that God made you. You're not here by accident. You're here by design, divine design. Now, how does this apply to us individually? Let me just land the plane this morning and then, and then pray for you. But how does this apply for us individually and as a church family? I just want to get practical with you in these last few minutes. Uh, th there, there is a team called the Dream Team, 1992 U.S. Olympic basketball team. Uh, the Dream Team was made up of the greatest players in the NBA. No disrespect, but plenty of disrespect to all the other players that have come afterwards. Uh, Magic Johnson, uh, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, John Stockton, Scottie Pippen. Man, they were, I mean, it was a dream team for a reason. These guys, they were the players. They knew how to play. But what was beautiful about watching them play uh, during that Olympics, and those of you that remember, uh, you remember this, is the way that they played together, they, they, they each had positions and they each fit together and they weren't trying to out show each other they, they weren't trying to get all the fame just for themselves they, they were they were understanding that they were functioning as a team and they it was a beautiful team I mean they played the heck out of the game they demonstrated to the world what it looked like to be the kind of players who understood it wasn't just about number one it was about understanding how you fit into the team I want you to know this morning that God also has a dream team. 
that he has actually designed a team here on the earth and also in heaven. It's called his church. His dream team is his church, and he has a plan for his people to be a part of the body of Christ. And Jesus himself, he said, I came to make my church beautiful, that he's actually working today to make his bride beautiful, make the church look the way that it should look. And the way it should look is that all our, God's people should each understand and have their place. If you look in 1 Corinthians, it says that God has arranged the parts, which is us, the parts of his body, uh, into his church, into his body, just as God wanted them to be. Secondly, firstly, God has a dream team, his church. Secondly, God, I'm sorry, you are made for his dream team. You actually are made to be a part of the house of God. You have unique talents, gifts, uh, designs about you. Each of you are uniquely strange and weird. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Have you noticed how many weird people there are in the world? Man. Every, every single person is unique. They've got a unique set of experiences. They have abilities and gifts and talents. They, they have secret things about them that, that nobody else knows except them, abilities. That they, and, and, and God actually, he's designed you and I to have these abilities so that we have a place to minister, a place to serve, a place to give. We have a place in our church. We're actually made to fit. And Paul talks about this a lot. He, he, says, he says, God has made the body in such a way that it has many parts. Just as your physical body has many parts, so too the members of the church, there are many different types of people, but each plays their role. And we make the mistake of thinking there's some really important roles in the church. We make the mistake of thinking, oh, the really important roles are the guy who stands up front or the gal who stands up front. But the reality is, is the best place to be in the church is the place that God has designed you to fit. Because when you are operating in your gifts, when you're operating the way that God has designed you to operate, boy, you'll suddenly discover, this is fun. This is life-giving. This is what it's about. Suddenly you, you discover there's grace for you. There, there's like it, it, the work that you do is no longer difficult. It's actually a joy because God's touch is on you because you're operating the way that he's designed you to operate. And there's a place for each one of us in God's church. Uh, there, there's an incredible uh, story of a guy, a guitarist named Christopher Parkening. Uh, Christopher Parkening uh, in, the, in the 60s and 70s became recognized as one of the greatest, if not the single greatest, classical guitarist uh, that was living. And uh, in his early years, he signed international recording uh, uh, albums, deals, and, and traveled across the world. By the time he was 30, he had basically achieved everything that he thought that he could do musically. Uh, he, he traveled and toured across the world. He made albums. He made money. He had houses. He had everything that he, in his own mind, felt that he needed to accomplish. But according to Parkening, he felt empty. He was tired of touring. It wasn't fulfilling him. And so he decided uh, that he would take a break, and he went to Montana, and he started to fly fish. <laughs> Soon he was not only a great guitarist, he was also a world-class fly fisherman because uh, he spent so much time. He, he just was out there doing it all, all day long. And, and, and yet, despite of all of his success and despite of all of the fish that he caught, he, he just felt empty. This is what he said. He said, if you arrive at a point in your life where you have everything that you've ever wanted 
and thought you would and you thought that would make you happy and it still doesn't then you start questioning things it's the pot of the gold at the end of the rainbow it's the thing that you keep thinking it's going to make you happy but when you get there it just doesn't satisfy and he started to wonder Christopher did. He started to wonder, is, is, there, is there a meaning to life? What am I going to do with this? And about this time, he visited some friends, and they took him to church, and, and he was struck by this verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. He said, the verse says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And this is what he says, and I quote, I realized there were only two things I knew how to do, fly fish for trout and play the guitar. Well, he says, I'm playing the guitar today absolutely by the grace of God. I have a joy, a peace, and a deep down fulfillment in my life that I've never had before. My life has purpose. I've learned firsthand that the true secret of genuine happiness is to find the purpose that God has for me. Today, he's a teacher at Pepperdine University. And instead of, of playing guitar for himself, he gives his talent to his students for the glory of God. Because he understood what we all need to understand is that when we have gifts and abilities and talents, they will never fulfill us until we understand that they truly are designed to give glory to our creator, to the one who made us, to the one who has given us a place. Lastly, I just want you to know that there's a place for you on our dream team. When we think of our church here at Koinonia, there's a place for you. I want you to know that every single person in the house, every person that calls Koinonia home, there's a place for you where you uniquely fit, where you're designed, your talents and your abilities. We're not looking for servants in the house who just do the things that we want them to do. We're looking for people who get to fit and fulfill the role that God has given to them. When we begin to understand, we're not just trying to fill a spot. Oh, we just, we need some volunteers. No, no, no. I don't like the idea of volunteers anymore. I like the idea of people who are called to ministry, people who are called to the purposes of God in their lives. When we realize the things that I have in my life, the talents, the gifts, the abilities, the skills, the passions, all of those things, when I can give those to God and bring him glory, I say, yes, I'll raise my hand all day long. That's the place that we have. I want you to know you were made for this. God has a purpose for your life. You are not an accident this morning. Even though you feel maybe even today, I, I, I don't know my place. I, you're, Andrew, you're talking real exciting about knowing your purpose. I don't know my purpose. I want to tell you, God has a purpose for you, and you can understand what it is. And as you begin to serve, and as you begin to reach out to him, and as you begin to say, Lord, I want my life to be about you, he will show you the way. He will help you to fit in. He will help you understand there is an exact place for you in the kingdom of God. Would you just bow your heads right now as I close this service? I just want to ask uh, two questions. The first one is simply this. If, if you are here this morning and as I've been talking about purpose and living your life for God and, and, and understanding that you are to live for the glory of God and you reflect on your life and where you're at and you realize that you've been living for a different purpose, I'm talking to you. You've been living for a different purpose. Maybe that purpose has been uh, money or success or a career. Maybe that purpose has been a relationship. I don't know what that purpose is, but you recognize that you have things out of order this morning. Maybe once upon a time, you did have things in order and you were living for, in, in your purpose and you were fitting in, but something distracted you and you've been running after that other thing. And this morning you're just saying, God, I need you to hear me. I'm getting back on track. 
I'm getting back into my purpose. I'm talking to everybody this morning that realizes I have been out of alignment with the purposes of God, and I'm saying to the Lord, I want to come back into alignment. If that's you, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet just as a symbol to the Lord that you're saying, Lord, I'm standing up and I'm coming back into your purpose. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, stand up. I see you. Yeah, I'm coming back into your purpose, God. I recognize I haven't had things straight, but by your grace today, Lord, I'm asking you for your help to come back into my divine purpose. Yes, God, for every person that's standing right now, there's a few more, I think, that need to stand. Go ahead, if you're wrestling, just go ahead and stand up. There's plenty of people standing up. Lord Jesus, for every person that's standing right now, I just pray, we pray together, God, for your grace, for your empowerment, for your anointing. Lord, that you would now see their commitment and their desire to you. They're reaching out to you saying, Lord, I need redirection. I want to live in the right purpose and the right design. So God, would you now take them and would you begin to refocus them? Those things that they need to turn away from, God, I just pray that those things would just begin to fall off, that they, they would fall once again in love with you, that they would see, God, your purposes in their heart and mind. Even today as they stand to their feet, Lord, covenant with them, covenant with them, God, to redirect their life to refocus that even this week, Lord, you would meet them, that they, they would have conversations of divine design that would begin to remind them of who they are called to be in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Would everyone just stand to your feet right now? I just want to ask one more question. Just very quickly stand to your feet. If you just keep your heads bowed, just one more, one more second. I just want to ask if, if you're here this morning, and I said at the beginning of the service as we talked about salvation and following Christ, that I was going to give an opportunity for those who don't know Jesus, or maybe you're here this morning and you've been away from the Lord, you've been a prodigal, and it's time for you to come back. This is the moment for you to come into the kingdom. This is the moment for you to, to say, yes, Lord, I'm raising my hand for grace and for mercy. I'm raising my hand for salvation. I know I don't deserve it. I know I can't earn it, but just by faith, I'm just reaching out to you. If you're here this morning and you need to make that decision, would you just raise your hand up high? You're just saying to the Lord, Lord, right now I'm asking for your grace, for your forgiveness. Yeah, I see those hands, for your mercy. I'm asking, Lord Jesus, that you would come and that you would tabernacle, that you would come and bring your presence to every person. Lord, thank you for every hand that's raised. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your rescue. We thank you that you have rescued from us from the dominion of darkness. Lord, even as we raise our hands today, Lord, we raise our hands reaching out for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you that your grace, God, is greater than our mistakes. Your grace is greater than what we've done in the past. Your grace is greater, Lord, than our greatest abilities. You are more than able to accomplish these things. And so, God, would you come and would you rescue? Would you heal? Would you empower? Would you break the power of the enemy? In the name of Jesus, Jesus, I pray for every hand that's raised, God, that there would be a new day that would be declared on every heart and every mind. Lord Jesus, that you would go before them, that there would be a today, a change from before and after, that today there's a new birth and there's a new life, that your mark would be upon them, that your spirit would fill them in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God, for your salvation. Would you just say thank you to the Lord right now? Would you say thank you, God? Thank you, God. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at kchamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.